Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, Episode 128. And in this episode, we will discuss some of the alternatives you may have to bankruptcy. In the previous episode, we went through the concept of bankruptcy and some of the implications of bankruptcy. So check it out if you want to learn more about bankruptcy in the previous episode. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, feel free to contact me via Twitter or via my Facebook page. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. The first one is to be educated and to improve your financial literacy. And that leads to the second aim, because with financial education and literacy, it'll empower you to speak to your credential advisor at a level that both of you can understand. And the third E is to be entertained. Just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions after listening to one of my episodes back to your credential advisor. In other words, don't listen to some random guy ranting about money on the internet. But if you're stuck on what to do in terms of broad principles, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is you got to pay yourself first. How much? I think about 20% of after-tax income, put it aside because you're the most important person in your life. I call that pay yourself first money. Step two is you've got to invest that money, ideally into something you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand the stock market and index funds, so I just plow my money into index funds. Step three is wherever possible, reinvest dividends. The power of compounding from reinvesting dividends is phenomenal. Step four is you've got to do this for the long term. I'm not talking 5, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30, if not 40 plus years. You've got to get into the habit of doing these steps over the long term. And step five, my favorite, is wherever possible, automate your investments. Automate these steps. Because with automation, you're more likely to stick to the plan and less likely to deviate. If you just follow these five simple steps over the long term, you're going to have more money than you'll ever need. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, the lives of people around you a lot better. Now, before we go on to the main topic of alternatives to bankruptcy, I had a question from Stefan who asks, Hi Dev, what is crypto staking? 
Now, I've done episodes about Bitcoin and blockchain technology uh, way back in episodes 85 and 86. So if you're interested in that, into the geeky concepts of Bitcoin and blockchain technology, go back and listen to it when you can. But in terms of crypto staking, I'm going to go into it with sort of a broad braced basic concepts here. So a very high level overview. So what is it? Now, to understand this, we need to understand the main differences between mining and staking. Now, fundamentally, miners solve complex problems, usually mathematical, and this allows a block of information to be added to the blockchain after validation. Now, remember, the key word there is validation. Now, this allows a, uh, you know, sorry, this, this sort of requires specialized hardware and, of course, a lot of time and energy, which costs a lot of money. So if you have more computing power, you're likely to be able to solve a lot of problems and add more blocks to the blockchain. Now, when cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin was first invented, people could mine using their home laptops. But now there are literally hundreds or thousands of computers in secure locations worldwide, constantly chewing power in order to add just one block to the blockchain. So it's very energy intensive. Now, this is called proof of work protocol. Now, staking, on the other hand, is when people who have cryptocurrency already sign up to a network, for example, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever network you choose, and they set aside tokens which act as validators. And this becomes an important node in the blockchain system. And as a reward, they're paid payments for it. Let's call those payments interest payments. And the income is then paid as interest to the holder of these validator tokens. And this process is usually very energy efficient in comparison and is called proof of stake networks. So proof of stake networks such as Ethereum uses this concept. And a lot of other cryptocurrencies also use this. Now, I'm not a crypto expert, so I'm trying to break it down as simple as possible. So bear with me here. Essentially, staking means the cryptocurrency is locked away in a wallet, which is a crypto wallet, which supports and acts as a validator in the network. As a reward, the holders of these crypto tokens get paid interest, which is usually guaranteed. So let's use an example here to highlight the concept of crypto staking. Amy is interested in staking her cryptocurrency. She researches and finds a network which supports the POS, or the Proof of Staking Protocols. She buys 100 tokens in that network, and after purchase, she follows the instructions of a crypto wallet to lock away these coins into the wallet. Generally speaking, the higher the number of staked coins means the higher the number of transactions that staking node can actually validate. In return to a staking, Amy receives interest payments which can vary between the networks. So that hopefully provides you with an overview of what staking is. There are some sub-concepts in regards to staking which I'll go through now. The first one is called pooled staking. So what is it? 
Now, this just means that you can pull your tokens along with others who want to do the same thing in order to create large pools of tokens, which means it can be used to validate more transactions. The larger the pool, the more transactions can be validated, which means more rewards to the token holders. It's as simple as that. Then what is called fixed staking? Well, this is when you can actually stake your coins for a defined period of time and take it out after this time. This is kind of like a term deposit equivalent when dealing with fiat currency. You can't touch it for that time, but you do get rewarded for the time that it's staked. The longer time frame means better interest rates. So that's fixed staking. Of, of course, there's also flexible staking, which is basically the opposite, where you can stake your coins, but also have the option of withdrawing those coins away from the stake. This offers interest rates as well, which are usually very low compared to the fixed staking. Because remember, the more flexibility you have with flexible staking, the less money you're going to make because the people that rely on your staked coins to validate those transactions are not entirely guaranteed that you're going to keep those staked coins always on their network. And I guess, why stake? Like, why even bother? Well, the rewards can be quite high. The interest rates can be quite high. And that's one of the attractions towards this concept. You, of course, need to have cryptocurrency to be able to use those tokens to stake them. And some networks offer, you know, up to 8% per annum in terms of interest rates, which is way more than what you'll receive in the bond markets or term deposits. And some smaller networks can even offer higher interest rates. So the benefits of staking are that it's more energy efficient, you earn interest, the fees are generally lower, and security is usually higher as more tokens means more validation of transactions in the network. But what are some of the risks? Well, cyber attacks, that's just a risk with cryptocurrency, full stop. It's a real issue. To avoid this, some people hold their tokens in a physical hardware device um, and not only in the online wallet because online accounts can be hacked, as has happened in the past. And this sort of concept of holding their crypto tokens in a physical hardware is called cold staking. Now, the bad thing is if your hardware is lost or damaged, then you've lost your tokens. And I'm not sure whether you can actually insure your cryptocurrency hardware as part of your home and contents insurance. You might have to check with your insurance provider whether that's actually possible. Now, fixed staking means if your crypto price goes down or up, you can't sell it. So you will need to live with it because cryptocurrency in this particular concept is not a liquid asset. So you can't have a fixed staking and if the price of you know Bitcoin rockets up through the moon or something like that, or Ethereum rockets up example, you can't say, oh, look, I don't want a fixed stake anymore. I want to sell my cryptocurrency because I want to take advantage of the rising prices. You can't do that. So that's one of the risks of staking. And the other risk is your staking income or interest is entirely dependent on how good your validation occurs. So any interruptions to the validation process or validation of transactions means the interest rate payments are actually affected. So Stefan, I hope this answers your question in a very basic way. 
a very high-level overview of crypto staking. I'm not a crypto ex expert. Uh, there's plenty more people online who know a lot better than me, and I don't buy, hold, or sell any crypto. I just don't see it as an investment at this stage. So maybe I'm wrong in the future, but I just don't see the value of buying cryptocurrency and just holding it because for me, that's too much speculation, too much volatility. I'd much rather invest in things that rise in value, but also pay me an income during that period of time. Now to the main topic, which is what other options are there other than bankruptcy do you have when it comes to situations where your liabilities are likely to exceed your income? And I think it's important. Look, I've had a couple of people who've contacted me that are in real financial strife. And most of my podcast is about making money, becoming wealthy, you know, the power of investing and the power of compounding. But unfortunately, some people are not lucky enough to do that. And some people have come into really tough times, particularly during the recent lockdowns. And, and it really has, you know, implications on the ability to make money and invest. So that's why I've decided to do the two-part series that the first episode was about bankruptcy and this episode is about uh, alternatives to bankruptcy. So you know, if you have unmanageable debt, there are three other options that you can consider. And the first one is called temporary debt protection or TPD. Um, the second one is debt agreements. And the third one is personal insolvency agreements. So let's go into each of them in detail to see whether you know, what they are and how they can be helpful and how they're similar and different. So what is temporary debt protection, TDP? Um, now, this is when you can buy some time essentially to sort out your financial situation and prevent creditors from hassling you too much. Normally, when you can't pay debts, unsecured debt creditors can continue to hound you. And this includes, you know, involving the sheriff's office to take enforcement actions, etc. But if you apply for temporary debt protection, this means you'll get a 21-day reprieve from any of this happening. So it gives you some time. And during this 21-day period, it gives you time to seek advice from the financial counsellors, which in most cases is actually free. Uh, so in Australia, you can call the National Debt Helpline, which is a free service. And the number is one 800 007007. I'm not sure why there's a James Bond reference there. Um, but yeah, that's the number, 1-800-007-007. And during this 28-day period, it gives you time to negotiate directly with creditors repayment plans. So you can do this yourself if you want, but it's generally recommended you get a professional person to help you do this. Now, the temporary debt protection is not something that happens automatically. You need to apply for it. You need to apply for it through the Australian Financial Security Authority, AFSA, and the agreement application must be approved, you know, before you are granted the 21-day reprieve. So it's not something that happens automatically. You need to ask for it. Just like bankruptcy doesn't happen automatically, you need to formally apply for it. Now, can secured goods still be repossessed even with their temporary debt protection? And the answer is yes, because remember, secured debt means that you have a security against the debt. For example, if you buy a car and the loan is secured by the car, then they can take your car away. So some of the debts uh, which are not covered by debt protection is HEX and help debt, 
child support payments, ATO debts, uh, court-imposed fines like speeding or banking fines, etc. Oh, like parking fines, beg your pardon. So uh, a temporary debt protection still doesn't stop your creditors from applying to make an application to bankrupt you because remember the temporary debt protection is an act of bankruptcy. So your creditors can find out about this and use this as evidence to further apply to bankrupt you. So even though it's not a formal application from you to be bankrupt, they can apply to actually bankrupt you because they now have evidence that you're struggling to pay off your liabilities. Um, now, can the creditors still contact you during a temporary debt protection agreement? The answer is yes. Uh, but what it does prevent them from doing is they can't take away your possessions, especially for unsecured debt. They can, however, take legal action against you if they really wanted to. So they can still contact you and still hound you, but they can't really do anything for those 21 days in terms of taking away your assets. Now, what happens after the 21 days is that the creditors can come after your money again after the 21 days. uh, And if you haven't reached an agreement with them to pay them back. So it doesn't automatically make you bankrupt and your debt protection details is not recorded on the public register of bankruptcies. And that's relatively important. So it's a pretty private process. Now, when you apply for a temporary debt protection, um, there are some exclusions. So if you've already applied in the previous 12 months, then you won't be granted one. Uh, If you already have a bankruptcy or active personal insolvency agreement, then it won't be granted. And if a court has imposed a creditor's petition for you to pay back the debts, and I think this includes a VCAT ruling as well, you need to check in your state. Uh, VCAT is a you know Victorian Civil Administrative Tribunal, uh, especially for the rent which hasn't been paid for many many months. A lot of you know landlords have been affected by this during the COVID nineteen pandemic. So if a court has imposed a creditor's petition for you to pay back the debts, then you won't be granted a temporary debt protection. So let's use an example to explain you know, potentially a scenario that, you know, is not uncommon. Amy is a 35-year-old doctor. Unfortunately, Amy has borrowed some money and lived beyond her means. And due to COVID-19, has seen reduced income as she works in the private hospital sector, where due to COVID-19 lockdowns means less patient presentations. Although Amy has been able to negotiate a payment agreement with some of her creditors, one of her creditors refused to do this. They took legal action and the court sided with the creditor. Amy analysed the situation and thought it best to apply for a temporary debt protection agreement such that the court judgment can be halted for 21 days and can't be enforced. And this means it gives us some time to think to see how else she can get out of this situation. Her assets were not seized for now. Amy was able to restructure her finances and then reach a debt repayment agreement with the creditor. So in short... A temporary debt protection enables you to buy some time until you get your financial life back in order. So that's pretty much it uh, about temporary debt protection agreements. Now, the second way that you can avoid a bankruptcy or alternative is a simple debt agreement. So what is it? This is when you reach an agreement with your creditor about the debt and how you would repay it. It's also called a part nine. It provides flexibility in repayments of your debts, but of course the creditor has to play ball with you for this to work out. So they need to agree as well, not just you proposing that agreement. So how does it actually work? You agree with the creditor to pay a portion of the original debt outstanding. You agree to do this over a a defined period of time. And the creditor cannot come after the money which you have not agreed to. So basically, 
you know, if you've got $10,000 in debt and you want to come to a debt agreement of $5,000 of that to be paid off, the creditor can't come after the remaining $5,000 because they've agreed with you to just accept the $5,000 instead of the whole $10,000 debt. So what are some of the advantages of this type of agreement? You can get, you know, part of the debt paid off um, so you don't have to pay the entire debt and the credit creditor still gets their money, you know, some of it back. So they're not really, you know, holding out for all of the debt and there's some certainty for you and there's some certainty for the creditor as well. Now, a debt agreement is not the same as debt consolidation. This is a common mistake that a lot of people make. Um, if you want to learn more about debt consolidation, I have talked about it in the first sort of 30 episodes. Episode 30, I think it is, is where I discuss the concept in detail. A debt agreement does not release you from secured debts either. That's the other sort of common misunderstanding that a lot of people have. So what sort of debts does a debt agreement cover? Now, mostly it covers unsecured debts, your credit cards, personal loans, utility bills, phone bills, medical bills, legal bills, accounting fees, etc. It does not cover court-imposed fines, so similar to temporary debt protection. It doesn't cover hex debt, help debt, ATO debt, superannuation debt, uh, and secured debts like mortgages or car loans, etc. So it's important to understand that a lot of what I'm talking about is on unsecured debt. So you can see the general pattern here. Try not to have unsecured debt because, you know, people can come after you. You become a liability. That debt becomes a liability and it's a huge risk to you and your personal financial situation. So I'm not a great fan of unsecured debt. I'm not a great fan of consumer debt in general. In fact, I hate consumer debt. I don't think anyone should borrow consumer debt because it just puts you at a high risk of going bankrupt or having the creditor take over your life, essentially. So is a debt agreement, is it an act of bankruptcy? And the answer is yes. It's very similar to um, temporary debt protection. It is an act of bankruptcy. You will need a debt administrator to help you manage the agreement and payments, and your name will appear in the National Personal Insolvency Index, which I found interesting because in the debt protection scenario, it doesn't appear in the index. And I suspect in the debt protection scenario, it's a very transient process, whereas with a debt agreement it's more permanent and it's more definitive. Now, it appears in the index as well for a period of about five years for the time of the agreement and it does not affect your ability to access more credit. You can still borrow money. You can still potentially do business dealings as well, but you need to be, you know, you need to ask for a little bit more advice on that, on your personal situation. So that's basically debt agreements. And the last option you may have is something called Personal Insolvency Agreement or PIA. Uh, Look, this is basically known as Part 10. And this is the second type of agreement which is available. So basically, there's a trustee that's involved who you can appoint and they have to be registered. And it's a legally binding agreement between you and your creditor. You make an offer about your debt with your creditors. And the other way, uh, maybe paying part of the debt or paying a lump sum of the debt. Now, the length of the personal insolvency agreement, it can be flexible. Um, You can negotiate a particular length of time as per your requirements. And of course, the creditor has to play ball with that. And the trustee often charges a fee as well to be involved. So make sure you find out what fees they charge. They're not going to be able to do it for free. 
Um, and the types of debts the PIA covers is similar to debt agreements, mostly related to unsecured debts. So remember, secured debts can still be repossessed by the creditor. That's if if you if, if there's one take home message, a lot of this is to do with unsecured debt. Now, the important difference, though, um, between a PIA and a debt agreement is that you can include your ATO debt in a PIA, whereas in other agreements, uh, I think ATO debts are not allowed. So I guess there's a lot of similarities between a personal insolvency agreement and a debt agreement, except in a debt agreement, you can't include your ATO debts, but in a PIA, you can. So that's really important. So again, a PIA or personal insolvency agreement, it's an act of bankruptcy. So you are committing an act of bankruptcy, which means a creditor can apply to the court to make you bankrupt if the PIA fails. Your details will appear on the National Personal Insolvency Index permanently. Your details will appear on your credit file for up to five years or longer in some cases. And generally speaking, you're not able to deal with your property, house or car without the consent of your controlling trustee. And generally speaking, you're not able to manage a corporation until the terms of the agreement have been finalised. And lastly, you are obligated to assist your trustee by providing the information and documentation when and if they request. So basically, the trustee will basically control your financial life until you get through this. So those are the three options, temporary debt protection, debt agreements, and personal insolvency agreements if you don't choose the option of going bankrupt. Um, So that's about it for this episode. Um, Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using uh, or leave a five-star review on all of the podcasts. Remember, when you leave a rating of five-star, please make sure you leave a positive review because it's the positive reviews, my understanding, in addition to the ratings that really propel the podcast higher and higher. And remember, this is a free podcast. So the more people that listen to it, uh, the more message is being spread. And hopefully we are, you know, inspiring people to have good financial behaviors in their own personal lives. And in that regard, I've got a positive review from Apple Podcasts um, from Anonymous. And the title is Sincere Ad-Free Pure Financial Education and Goodness. As an Australian doctor, Dev is also one. This financial podcast was one of the first materials that truly educated and inspired me to start disciplined, structured, lifelong investments. I truly enjoyed his staying ad-free content via direct or indirectly via expert interviews, uh, instead always filling the show with pure information. Most of the podcasts of this area have some sort of share platform advertisement and whatnot. So his remaining neutral in this regard is an absolute breath of fresh air. The material he teaches is applicable regardless of your profession or income, and his clear, succinct teaching is sure to demystify any doubts you may have about finance and investment. I can't recommend Dev Raga's podcast highly enough. That's a really nice feedback. Thank you very much. I think that makes a big difference to what I do. It makes me feel better. And yeah, I've kept this ad-free and interview-free. Uh, The interview free is really easy. I'm actually very bad at podcasting in the sense that I literally am talking into my iPhone. It's a very amateur service, um, a very amateur product that all of you are getting um, because I just don't have enough time or editing 
capacity to be able to have interviews, etc. So that's an easy fix. Just don't have interviews. Uh, and I've kept this podcast ad free because, uh, yeah, I haven't really had any advertisers approach me apart from those that want some sort of, you know, uh, sort of, you know, affiliate links or anything like that. I'm not completely against advertising. Um, and, you know, if you're a sponsor or if you're a advertiser that wants to advertise on this podcast channel, I'm completely open to it, but it's got to be a good ad that benefits the majority of listeners. Um, I'm really, obviously, my sort of philosophy of investing is long-term. Uh, I don't like consumer debt, so I don't like, you know, credit card companies wanting to advertise. Um, I'm not going to have unsecured personal loan companies or, you know, loan sharks advertise here because that's not what I want my listeners to do. I want my listeners to pay themselves first and invest for the long term. So if you're a company that's invest investing long term and you think your product or service will be very beneficial for the listeners, I'm happy to hear about it. But at this stage, I just haven't had the urge to have um, excessive advertising or any advertising or any of my episodes. But that could change in the future. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely against it, but um, it, it, I've got a pretty strict criteria. So I really appreciate that feedback. Um, the more ratings and reviews all of you give, the better it is for the podcast because it is a free podcast and I want as many people to listen to it as possible because I think it's important. And remember to share this channel with family and friends um, and also sign up to my Twitter account and my Facebook account so that you can stay uh, up to date with all of the latest episodes and some of the musings that I do post. And remember, always pay yourself first. Take 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. Learn about options if you ever have to uh, face financial difficulties, and I hope you don't. But if you do and unable to pay your debts, uh, those are the options for you. This is Dev Rucker, Personal Finance, Episode 128. And as always, please make sure you stay safe. 